This is Key the Mic, a podcast on the leading edge of fire service innovation. I'm your host, Inanna Hinky. Join me as we unpack today's emerging issues and the minds and tools at work to solve them. We've never found anyone that once they've been either exposed to some degree or trained on the, the use of the drone that has, has written them off still as a toy. They quickly realize and recognize just how much this technology can bring to the fire service. Today, I am joined by engineer paramedic Kevin Dykes and engineer AEMT Nick Robinson. Kevin and Nick both work for the Depot Bay Fire Department, and they also share a love of technology. This mutual interest led to the establishment of Depot Bay Fire's first drone program, which recently received media attention for assisting in a rescue operation. During that rescue, an individual had fallen from a trail on a rocky cliff face near Devil's Punch Bowl here in Oregon, but with the help of a drone and thermal imaging, responders were able to guide the fallen person down a safe path along the rocks. So Kevin and Nick, thank you so much for being here today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. So today we're going to talk about technology in the fire service, and specifically drones. So several fire agencies across the U.S. are already using or are actively considering drones to enhance their ability to respond. Tell us about how Depot Bay Fire came to embrace the use of drones in your department. Sure. So it's been several years in the making, and this kind of rewinds back 2015, 2016 timeframe, right around in there. Yeah. Our chief at the time, he was, he was more of a technological savvy individual. He had heard of rumblings of drone use starting, at least across the country. Around that same time, too, uh, our chief noticed that Nick had been bringing his personal drone in and just kind of flying it around here in the area. That kind of got the ball rolling of things because at that time, I mean, again, we're only talking about five years ago, drones were very much so a kind of misunderstood tool if it was just, you know, another radio controlled car or toy, I guess, if you will. We started having conversations at that time with our chief of what the potential and the possibilities really could be. That started catching a lot of traction, more communication between our board members and such. That started the ball rolling. But unfortunately, there was still enough pushback of the idea because of really just the unknown. Fast forwarded to about two years ago now, our current chief, which was then hired on as our assistant chief, he had witnessed several different calls or incidents where due to our location here on the coast and our cliffs and what have you, there wasn't a lot that we could do. Our only water-capable rescue option, we called it Emily. It was a about a three-foot-long radio-controlled boat. It had a flotation device attached to it, so we could operate it from a distance. You could send it out through the surf and whatnot with a tagline attached to it in hopes that you could reach a patient that was still conscious. The problem with that is it was more of a design that it was meant for a static water source, not the Oregon surf. And so it would have a lot of issues trying to break through the surf in, in rough conditions, especially trying to pull that tow line. And so between that and maintenance issues, it really got sidelined, leaving this void for us. With a lot of talking, communication, research, and really trying to spread knowledge is where we came into our, our own with our current drone program. 
early on in your statement, you said that your chief was interested. He had seen you using your own drones. There was some energy to start out with. The board got involved, but that wasn't the cycle where this came to fruition. You'd mentioned that there was some pushback. So in what ways did that pushback manifest? Like what was the concern about the unknown that was keeping this from becoming a full-fledged program? The concept that these tools could be actually utilized for something greater than just uh, personal enjoyment and such. Uh, it, it was such a difficult hurdle to try to navigate. People still even don't have a lot of exposure with drones themselves. So there's a lot of intimidation with it. And trying to convey that it's just an incredible resource to people that might be of our age and are accustomed to technology or older individuals, which really have no sense of of what technology can do for us nowadays. So really trying to bridge the gaps, it really came down to a lot of communication and basically show and tell. It sounds like there was kind of a stigma at first. Like, what do you mean you want to make this official fire service business? This is just something you fly around in your backyard. And then it took somebody who could see that, no, there's nothing that we can do for these people in these precarious situations. Having some eyes in the air would be a great resource. So we know that video capabilities is one great feature that drones can help with, uh, visibility. But what are some other ways that drones can help first response? You mentioned there was a flotation drone that wasn't perfect, but that's something. And then also thermal imaging. Is there any other ways that they can help? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll let Nick go ahead and kind of jump in on this one. Well, drones is kind of a broad term. Like we said before, our kind of our first drone was our remote controlled boat. Technically, ours would be considered an UAV, an unmanned aerial vehicle. More broadly, drones could be aircrafts, boats, wheeled vehicles. So there's all sorts of different types of drones that we could be using as first responders. So with ours as an aerial, we have the FLIR capability. We're able to see heat signatures, find the seat of a fire. We can also use it on rescues especially out in the open water or at nighttime so we can see people's bodies heat. It makes it very fast to locate somebody. We can also set up the drone to kind of be in, in an autonomous mode where it will just circle and basically have it doing that hands-free, have it on a target where it just circles or even just hovers in place to monitor the situation. That is outstanding. Yeah, every second counts when it comes to intervening and saving somebody's life. So if you have a situation where you fly out, you have thermal imaging, there they are in the water, we can go directly to that location. And then also, I didn't know they had this autonomous mode where they could just be up circling and also every pair of hands is available to help that um, is on site. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. It, I was going to say the the autonomous modes, being able to not only lock onto a, say, a home or something that, and just circle that. You can even, in fact, highlight a object, such as a, a person that's uh, walking. You can highlight that on our screen, and it will actually just follow them. So if we have a hiker, for instance, that's stuck on a cliffside or whatnot, you can highlight that person. The drone will fly itself. We literally, we could set the controller down, and it will do its own thing. It just, it doesn't take a lot of technological knowledge and practice to do a lot of this stuff just because of the software now that they have available. So the rescue that you performed near Devil's Punch Bowl is one example, but what are some other 
actual examples of triumphs that you've had with your drone program so far? Keeping in mind that our program's very new and young, currently only our ship is capable of utilizing the drone, being that I'm the only person that has my commercial drone pilot's license currently. We've used our drones for search and rescue of missing people and pets. We've used it to locate illegal burns, where it was actually called in as a commercial building on fire. Couldn't find anything, put the drone in the air, and were able to find a burn pile that somebody had quickly put out when they heard us coming. We've used it for locating debris from a capsized boat that was broken up on the rocks. We've also used it for locating and surveying an area of a commercial propane tank that was leaking. Up in our neighboring district, they had about a 4,000-gallon propane tank that they broke the valve off of, and they didn't want to send any personnel into the area until they knew what they had. So we actually used the drone to survey that for them. Beyond what we've already used the drones for on calls, we train for a wide variety of other operations as well. You've had a lot of success so far, even though it's a relatively new program. How about any lessons learned or perhaps let's not do that the same way next time? It's again, you know, kind of referencing the fact that we're so young, believe it or not, we haven't had a lot of oopses or anything in the sense, at least uh, when it comes to the, the district and our, our drone program. I think maybe Nick and I maybe have personal experiences with drones of, of what to do and what not to do, probably more so just because we've logged a lot more time with those. But the, the, the hardest thing that you have to keep in mind in the back of your head when you, you, know, you think of deploying a drone or utilizing a drone while you're on shift is is right now is the public image. You, you put a drone in the sky and the public sees that because it makes a fair amount of noise at times. And it, you know, otherwise looks abnormal to see that in the sky. And then they'll see a crew operating it from a distance as well. And perceived at, you know, for at an arm's length, it just looks like we might be playing with a toy. So it's, making sure you're using them at the proper time, not just flying it just because when we do training, we, we try to take it to a little more remote or secluded areas. We don't want to put a bad taste right away um, into the public's, public's perception of what this tool is. Right. And because it's new, you want to introduce it to the communities that you serve in a way that they understand and recognize what's happening. Yes, absolutely. Sense. So you mentioned that you are the only shift at the moment that has the proper certifications to fly your drone. But what is the process like for learning how to pilot uh, one of these devices? So the, there's a couple different ways that a district or a department can, can acquire a drone and actually start utilizing it legally. The first one, of course, is what similar to what Nick did, and that was getting the Part 107 license from the FAA. So that, that requires a taking a certification course to some degree um, and really you know, gaining all that knowledge and then being able to go and pass a national test. That will help you acquire that license, which at that point, whoever is holding that pilot's license, they can operate or they can oversee someone operating a license. So that means anyone on our shift, so long as Nick is present, <laughs> we can we can fly it. That's the easiest, fastest way to do it. Uh, larger departments, as as we were talking with them across the country, the larger ones, 
they utilize something which is a COA is what it's referred to as a certificate of authorization. It's more of a blanket license. There's a lot more legal channels you have to go through using a lawyer to kind of draft up a written SOG. And then it has to be submitted to the FAA. And once that is all approved, then anyone with under the blanket of this COA, so in the department, they, they can fly. So they don't have to have their uh, license. And realistically, if their COA uh, agreement states that no one's going to have a license, then it's okay. Those are the, the two main ones that we've seen that is really the, the best way for a fire district to go. Now, because drones in general are a very new thing to the FAA, there's a lot of uncertainty or gray areas. And there hasn't ever been any type of instances with fire districts or any type of search and rescue that have flown drones and they have been, been getting in trouble for any reason. It's a gray area that they're, they've been trying to work on legislation to allow fire districts and search and rescue to operate drones in emergent situations without all of these different types of certifications. But currently right now to, to do it legally and keep it for insurance reasons, all those things, these are, these are the options that we have. I see. Are those certifications prohibitively priced? Do they take a lot of time or are they relatively easy? For the part 107 license, it's uh, pretty reasonable. It's a $150 knowledge test. The problem with that is for larger departments, having every single person have to train and study for that test and then the $150 fee can be cumbersome. So that's why a lot of the larger departments go with the COA. But the COA, you pretty much have to describe every single little bit and piece of your drone program. You have to have risk mitigations listed out, what you're going to do in an emergency. It has to spell out everything. And to get that all covered and everything in there, you pretty much have to hire a lawyer to get it all spelled out. And that can be tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, boy. Um, But for those larger departments, that might be cheaper than paying for each individual person to go get a license. Nick, you mentioned that you received a drone-specific training from the Special Districts Association of Oregon. Is that the same thing as the COA, or was that something different? No, that was different. The SDAO training, it was offered free to any fire district that was under the SDAO. The training that I went to, it covered lots of different topics within the commercial drone operations. We learned about sectional charts, which are what aviators use to know what kind of different hazards there are within a certain area they're flying. So those would list out TV towers or mountain ranges and stuff like that. It also shows you your different airports and what different classes of airspace there are so you know where and when you can fly. It taught us general airman knowledge. We had to learn weather and load factors. And most of that stuff was all stuff that would be covered in the knowledge test by going through and learning all of that pretty much covered everything we needed to know to take the knowledge test and successfully pass it. They also provided training on a app that was called Drone Complier, and they provided us a membership to the app. That app allowed us to track our flights. We could put in all of our pilots and our assets, like the drone itself and the batteries, and we can track how many times they were flown, how many times we charged our batteries. And then with that, we could submit that record to the FAA for our yearly use record, which is something that we have to submit as a commercial drone operator. That sounds like a good general 
crash course, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a little bit that there are some things to be aware of as far as the potential liabilities that drones could cause, as well as possibly potential boons or benefits to departments. Could you speak a little bit about that idea? Probably the biggest liability is that a drone's a big object in the air, basically a gigantic airborne projectile that in the event of a mishap, it could cause significant damage. And you can imagine a 10 to 20 pound object falling out of the sky with spinning propellers. You could have a failure, a mishap, or you could even lose signal and have the drone just fly away. Ours, it's kind of a larger brand and it doesn't have very many issues, if ever. I've never had a mishap with my personal one or our district one. Another liability is that we're taking photos and videos as a public entity. So those become public record. They could be subpoenaed for court. The public also has kind of a misconception of the invasion of privacy. Generally, drones have a very wide angle of view. And so you can't really see close up. They think that we're just peering in their windows and stuff when really we're so far away and it's such a wide angle that you can't see much of that detail. As for benefits, it's a very fast deploying resource. We don't have to place personnel in harm's way. It's able to do tasks of many personnel. So we don't have to send like a crew out in a boat. Uh, it also gives the perception of cutting edge technology to the public. It has a low operating cost compared to other resources. While there is the liabilities, we have just as many liabilities, if not more, with other fire resources that we have. So if you can, if you can use something or utilize a piece of equipment that, that really cuts down on that liability, that's, that's what we're looking for is the big takeaway. Is there a certain financial benefit to using a drone in some situations? I know you already mentioned the number of personnel required for any particular task is one, uh, but are there others? The greatest thing with it is, is the cost of a drone, whether it be a, a smaller drone or even ours, which is, so ours is the equivalency of about $15,000, which is the drone plus the camera that we have. So we're flying. Now you, you use that and compare that to say a boat, which could be a well over a hundred thousand dollar just for the boat itself. Then you add the equipment on it. Then you have to add the personnel. And so quickly you're becoming a huge benefit just, just from the, the takeoff position with the drones. And then on the fact that Nick can go out, he can start operating our drone within, we've got it down to about a minute that it can be deployed from the time that we get on scene. And he can use all of its capabilities, such as that large commercial area that had that propane leak. He was able to go ahead and not only survey this large area, but he was able to pinpoint just a small place where the actual tank was, get nice and close with the camera and, and be able to survey from there and gather more information. You would have had to use an entire team, specialized team, which would have had to have come from somewhere that was outside, at least for our capabilities in our county. The cost savings where if, sure, if, if it's something that ends up needing the hands-on side of things for a specialized team, then at that point you can call them in. But if we're having to deploy a team from, say, Salem for us, which is a, an hour plus away, by the time they get here, they've already ran up all their costs. And then for them to actually go and do their work and such, just to find out maybe that, oh, we didn't need them after all. And so if a drone can quickly be tossed up in the air, 
and find out that information, you've saved thousands of dollars in a short period of time, which realistically could have been the cost savings of the equipment itself just in one instance. That's the use side of things. Now, maintenance is a big thing for us in the fire service with all of our equipment. We, we have to stay on top of all of our maintenance on the regular, if not more than what is recommended. If you're looking at the service of sending an engine in every, you know, twice a year or something like that, that could be thousands upon thousands of dollars. Operating costs for our drone, they're none. (laughs) (laughs) It is a, it's a one-time purchase. You might need to, down the road, you might need to get a couple new batteries or something for it. Or maybe the blades might, might wear out a little bit, but these different types of UAVs, they're built to be utilized for years and years without any type of routine maintenance. There's no oils. There's no, there's none of that such that you have to change on the regular or anything of that sorts. Again, that's, that's not only it's saving costs for materials, but that's just saving costs for man hours and labor. Let's talk about your drone specifically. You mentioned that it has a nice camera, that it is aerial, but is there anything else that it can do? Our drone is the DJI Matrix 210 version 2. With that, we also got the Zenmus X2 camera. So that's a dual lens. It has FLIR and optical built into one camera. So that's kind of the biggest selling point on ours is the FLIR so that we can locate those heat signatures. Some of the main features of the drone is it has GPS, has a built-in compass, an altimeter, an accelerometer. It's got collision avoidance sensors on every side. So at lower speeds, it's able to detect when it's approaching an object and either slow or stop itself to avoid those collisions. We've also added a drop device to it. We can actually clip on an object and we're able to push a button and drop stuff. So we have a self-inflating buoy that we purchase. That way we can drop that to somebody in the water. And when it, when it hits the water, it'll self-inflate. We can tow a line with that drop device. So we have a little tagline on a spool. We've tested that out over 700 feet out in the surf, pulling it with the drone. No problem. Another feature of our drone is it has what is called DJI AirSense. And that's kind of an alert system that uses a uh, automatic dependent surveillance broadcast built into other aircraft. So as long as the other airplanes are using that system, our drone will sense that signal and tell us where the plane's at and where they're approaching from so that we can avoid being in their path. We have to give way to manned aircraft, so that really helps with that. It's also uh, water-resistant. It's got an IP43 rating so that we can pretty much fly it in any uh, wind or rain condition. It's not submersible, but it's basically waterproof. The batteries are intelligent, We get about 40 minutes of flight with no load on it. And the batteries actually have built-in circuitry where they'll, if they're sitting in storage, they'll discharge themselves down to uh, about 80% charge. That way the batteries aren't degrading, sitting fully charged. That's kind of a problem with a lot of lithium-ion batteries. And then it's kind of expandable. So we've got the ability to add on a second remote if we need it. And you can have an independent camera operator from the pilot. We can add in the ability to transmit video to a monitor so the chiefs could have like a TV screen and see what we're seeing. And we can add on a second camera so we can have like a zoom camera if we wanted. And that's kind of kind of the main say, yeah. four points of what it's capable of doing. The big thing, which I, I think a lot of people, again, a, a big misconception rather, is that 
you have to fly this thing. And in reality, you don't. We can be in a 20 mile per hour wind. We can put it up in the air going full bore and then we could drop or take our hands off the remote control completely. And it will come to a controlled stop and it will stay hovering in the same exact position or within several feet. Yeah, a couple feet of that position. If we were to lose a signal with it or our controller for some reason has a, a malfunction of some sort, it actually will return to where it takes off and it will land itself. The technology that is really built into these things makes them, you know, not quite foolproof, but, but you can, you really can equip someone to fly a drone within a matter of, you know, 30 minutes or an hour as a very basic you know, crash course. With all those sensors on board, you, you pretty much have to force it to crash. Yeah. I know that I've learned a lot about the technology of drones, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but I feel compelled to ask it anyway, which is that these drones are so intelligent and so efficient. Do we have to fear that they may replace firefighter jobs? (laughs) You'll never be able to replace the role of a true firefighter. It's even if we end up some way down the road, have robots that are going into fires for us and, and pulling people out, you still need to have someone on the other end giving the input and making the decisions. And I think we're probably incredibly far away at this point from anything like that happening. But a drone, just like, you know, our Axe and our Halligans, they're all tools. And we're, we're constantly looking to find the best tool possible for situations for rescues. And that tool, it might be a, only a $200 tool, or it might be a $1,000 tool. Realistically, if it's something that will give us an advantage to a life-saving potential, it's, it's without question that's something that should be acquired. I agree. And hopefully some people find that reassuring as well. What advice would you give to departments who are interested in exploring the use of drones? <laughs> the biggest thing is just do your homework. Don't just go buy, and go buy any UAV because the cost fits your budget. Don't buy one just because it's sold for fire and rescue use. There's a lot out there that are marketed as a firefighting or rescue drone. You can purpose build one yourself, custom made for cheaper than most package deals to fit your needs. So you want to pinpoint what your target hazards are that are specific to your district and acquire the drone or multiple drones that best suit your needs. One of the biggest things is to reach out to other departments and other districts that have already established programs. In the beginning stages of ours, we reached out and in our experience, they were very willing to share their information and help us out, you know, answer our questions. A lot of them even gave us their SOGs so we can kind of go off of what they had already established. And don't be afraid of the unknown and intimidation to the technology. Don't think that it's this helicopter that's impossible to fly. Like we spoke of with all the sensors on board, they're very easy to learn. And it's a very quick tool to deploy and learn how to fly. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? It's such a new industry in the sense as far as access to the, the public. You, you have to be very patient with trying to get the, the wheels off the ground as you're trying to convey what the capabilities are of a drone to not only your, your board members or your chief, but even also your, your fellow firefighters and such. We still have firefighters that are reluctant to the, you know, the use of it just because of the lack of understanding or the lack of exposure to it, which we're working on. 
we've never found anyone that once they've been either exposed to some degree or trained on the, the use of a drone that has, has written them off still as a toy. They quickly realize and recognize just how much this technology can bring to the fire service. So be diligent, stay with it, keep doing the homework on it, recognize that you're going to be getting something that is just worth its weight in gold as far as a resource. We're very grateful for the, the opportunity to be able to come on and, and chat a little bit and, and hopefully be able to reach out to some, some other fire districts and apartments out there that are questioning or at least have heard about drones. And we hope that they'll get maybe a little bit more of a approachable view. Hopefully we start seeing more of these being used in the fire service, more rescues, et cetera. I hope so too. Yeah. Thank you both so much for joining us to discuss your experience working with drones. I really enjoyed listening to what you had to say and hopefully some other departments will consider using drones after they listen to this episode. We really do hope so too. And, you know, I mean, as the other departments have offered to us when we were doing our research. If anyone has any questions and whatnot, we'd be more than happy to share what we have too. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. Stay safe out there and until next time. For more information about our podcast and today's episode, visit our website at keythemic.org. That's key, the M-I-C dot O-R-G.